Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Well, hey, friends, so great to be with you. I want to begin today with a a bit of a family moment and, and let you know of a couple opportunities going on around us. Now, one of the things that has been uh, really cool to watch is the unity of the churches, uh, especially the churches in the Northwest right now, as, as we gather together to figure out how do we move forward together? How do we be better together? And one of the ways that we're doing that is by helping uh, some churches that are in need. Now, in particular, there are a number of African-American and Latino churches in the underserved areas of our community that have been uh, severely impacted financially uh, by this pandemic. And so together we've decided, hey, we can help them. We, we can contribute to them. We can share the burden with them. And, and so there's been a, a the creation of a uh, Northwest Church Relief Fund. And this has been put on by a number of churches in the Northwest. And I would love to, to let you know of this so that you could also join in. My family is going to contribute to this. And, and I think this is a great way for us to, to stand in solidarity together. Now, uh, 100% of funds designated to this are going to go to these churches uh, to help them do the ministries that they do uh, day in and day out. And and if you are interested in participating in that, uh, you can go online and you can uh, see on our push pay, uh, we're going to create a a line there that you can designate uh, whatever gift that you want to give to that. And and you can contribute in that way, or you can send in a check and just write Northwest Church Relief Fund and and, uh, whatever you do toward that will go directly to them. And I think it's a great way for us in the midst of a season like this uh, to lock arms with other believers and say, you know what, we're in this together. Now, in that vein, I also want to let you know that uh, as our church has adjusted uh, during this season, we have drastically cut back on a number of expenses. Now, obviously, we're not doing uh, many of the things that we were doing, but the church is not closed. The church is fully functioning. And and so we are continuing uh, to do the ministries that, that we get to do day in and day out as well. Now, as we have adjusted, we have lowered the expenses, but our giving, especially the last few weeks, has gone down as well. And in the last couple of weeks, our giving has been below even our adjusted expenses. Now, I'm telling you that, you might go, well, if that is our situation, why on earth would you tell us about other churches in need if, if our church has need? Well, here's the reality, friends. I believe we follow a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. And so just because we have a need here uh, doesn't mean we're, we're suddenly going to act in fear and not proactively give to others. It, it means I just want to bring you into the conversation and go, that's where we're at. And I believe that, that God has, has given us all that we need with the people that we have to do the ministry that God has called us to do. And so I'm just going to invite you, I'm going to invite your family, your friends, just to pray about how you may be able to step up uh, during this season. And, and obviously uh, each of us are being being affected differently. Uh, but if you're able, I just want to encourage you to, to, to pray about that. And, and again, we want to continue doing the ministry that we get to do all the time. And, and you are a huge 
part of that. You are the church. And so I want to let you know about it, let you know about both these opportunities and just invite you to, to enjoy that God has an abundance for us and we can share that with those around us. And so I'm just gonna encourage you, uh, would you help us meet the needs in our own church that, that we have, which again are greater than what we're currently seeing. And then also, would you pray that God would lay something on your heart uh, so that you could participate in other churches as well that are in need during this time. And as I was reflecting on this, there's a great quote from the author Anne Voskamp. She says this in describing the different types of giving. She says, surplus giving is the leftover you can afford to give. Sacrificial giving is the love gift that changes how you live because the love of Christ has changed you. God doesn't want your leftovers. God wants your overtures, your first overs, because he is your first love. Now, surplus giving is the easy type of giving. Sacrificial giving, where we change something so that we can give in a certain way is what really changes our hearts and is what moves the kingdom further. And so I'm gonna encourage you, uh, if you would join uh, together, let's just pray over this uh, and pray that God would uh, allow our church and our community to rise up for a, a moment like this. Well, Jesus, we come to you and uh, we acknowledge needs both in our community and needs in, in churches around us. And yet we also know that, that you have resourced us. You have given us uh, as individuals, as families, what, what we need uh, for these communities to thrive. And so we just pray that you would give us uh, an excitement, give us a joy uh, of, of giving, of, of, of generosity, of participating with you and watching how our resources can have kingdom impact, how they can change people's lives, they can change communities. And I just pray that you would ignite in us a spirit of generosity in a season like this, that we would get to do even more than we ever thought because we said yes to you and we partnered with you. And so God, we, we put these needs before you and we invite you to stir us. We invite you to move in ways that only you can. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanna welcome you to Abundant Life Church. We are so glad that you're here. However you are joining us today, or if you're watching or listening to this online later, uh, we're so glad that you're here as well. My name is Jeremy and I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're new with us, we're a church about giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. And we're so excited to have you here. Now today we're in a series that we've been going through called the Gospel of John, working our way through this. We took a break uh, for a couple of months and we were, we're back in it. We, we launched a reintroduction last week. And so if you missed that and you wanted to get back caught up to speed, you can go and, and watch last week's message as well. But today, if you're taking notes, the title of the message is Waiting for Jesus. So I encourage you to write that down if you're taking notes at home, uh, Waiting for Jesus. And then in our Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter six. Now, while you're turning there and you're getting your Bible ready, I want to let you know a little bit about what's been going on in our house this week. We decided it was time. Uh, we've had a lot of time with our kids. And so a lot of lessons we're trying to teach them right now, but thought it was time to get them their own phone. Uh, we have five kids, so they are sharing one at the moment to start teaching them uh, how, how to use this. Now it's one of those real simple kids phones. It doesn't do most of the things that your phone probably does, but it can make calls and it can send regular text messages. Now, one of the things that's been so fun is teaching our kids, you know, phone etiquette and teaching them how to handle, you know, that, that kind of communication, how to text, right? Our kids uh, didn't really know how to do this. And so they've been texting us and texting their grandparents. And it's been really fun to see. 
What I was not prepared for was all of the texts that I was going to get uh, from my kids now. And, and if I step out of the home for any amount of time, uh, I, I am constantly bombarded with messages of, of them thinking about me. And it's allowed me to see some of their personalities displayed through text, uh, which just brings out, you know, different aspects of, of them. And, and I thought you might enjoy some of this. Like my daughter, uh, she's really big with emojis. And so uh, earlier this week, I got this text from her. She said, this is how much I love you. And then a lot of very loving emojis. And, and if that wasn't clear enough, she followed up with this and even more which I thought, man, that's, that's pretty sweet when you're getting those texts from your daughter. And so that certainly made my day uh, getting that and thought that was pretty awesome. And then my, my, one of my sons uh, texted me as well. And, and uh, this was a little bit different, uh, not so much heavy on the emojis, uh, but he said this to me. Um, oh, brother, you are using abbreviations. This was in the middle of a conversation we were having. And I thought, okay, I, I got to teach him here. So I said, yeah, that's how texting works. LOL, which is what I had used, uh, means laugh out loud. Now, again, I, this is my job as a dad. He's wondering why I'm using abbreviations. So I'm going to communicate it to which he says this. I know, dad, I am a kid. I know this stuff. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, so then he, he says this, I need to do homework, so no more texting by Gavin out. And I said, wow, you, you, you make me laugh there. To which he replied, ha ha, stop, please. When, when your own children are telling you to please stop texting them, uh, you've, you've arrived at peak dad level, I think. So that's, that's been my week is interacting with my children through text. And, and it's got me thinking about what happens when there's distance. Now, uh, that, that was when I was away from them for a little bit this week and they decided to text me that. And, and again, when you are distant from someone, uh, you, the, you think about the things that you want to say to them. When they're in person, maybe there's things that you don't say or things that you, you don't wonder about be, because you know they're there. But when they're not there, uh, that's when communication really comes in. Again, we're, we're seeing that in dramatic ways in the midst of this season where we're not around as many people as we normally are. Well, with that in mind, I want to go to John chapter six. I want to show you his story, uh, a day in the life of the disciples, uh, what it feels like when you're following Jesus and you get into some of the situations that, that you get into when you follow a person like Jesus. And so if you're with me, we're looking at John six, beginning in verse 16. And we're going to look at not a long story, but uh, a profound moment that I'm sure had significant impact on the disciples. It says this, that evening... Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, you ever felt like it got dark and Jesus didn't come back? That's literally what's happening there. They're waiting for him. He doesn't come back. They got into the boat and they headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Now soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, the text says. But he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. They, then they were eager to let him in the boat and immediately they arrived at their destination. Such a great little story. Now, notice the prompt for how we get into this story, okay? So the text says, the disciples are waiting for Jesus, right? So they're like, where is he? Darkness fell. 
Jesus hadn't come back. They decide to get into a boat and a crazy storm comes upon them. Now, again, I, I'm kind of primed this week of my own interaction to think, what would this have looked like if the disciples could have texted Jesus? Okay, so if the disciples, you know, like my kids, if they could have just texted Jesus and like, hey, what's going on? You're not with us. How would that have played out differently? I don't know, but, but here's how it might have looked. They, they could have sent him this message. Hey, it's us. Where are you? Right, we're, we're waiting. Where, where are you? And they don't get a response. So they say, should we wait? Should we, should we just stay here longer? And they still don't get a response. Maybe like my daughter, they might say, well, love you. You know, hey, just in case you're wondering, like that's how we, we think about you. And, and man, if you imagine like if they could have texted, they could have probably solved and avoided this whole situation. They said, hey, Jesus, where are you? You want us to wait? What's going on? But Jesus doesn't show up. So they get into a boat. And, and they go out and, and then a storm comes upon them. And, and so often this is, this is what we feel like. This is, this is what life feels like for us as well. Now, Jesus has got an idea here. He's, he's got a solution to this, but notice that sometimes Jesus's ideas look terrifying, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes Jesus's ideas look terrifying. It's dark outside. They're in the middle of a storm and it looks like Jesus is doing something that humans can't do. Like that's Jesus' solution is to do something that normal people can't do. And, and, and they're like, whoa, this is really creeping us out. And I want you to notice their first thought when they see Jesus walking to them is not to celebrate, oh, this is a miracle. Look at Jesus doing what Jesus does. This is so great. No, no, no. Their first thought is they are terrified we're, we're in the middle of a storm, it's dark, it's scary, and what on earth is that? What on earth is he doing? They see Jesus and they are terrified. You see, the miracle usually comes after the fear. Now, we don't want the fear there, but, but usually the, the miracle's on the other side of whatever it is that creates our fear. And, and it's true for us today, and it was true for them as well. As I think about this, I want to ask a question to have you consider in your own life as well. When was the last time you were scared by one of Jesus's ideas for your life? Like when was the last time you were in a situation and Jesus decided to show up and the way in which Jesus decided to do it and the way in which Jesus invited you to experience him scared you? Now, I would suggest that the scriptures would imply this should be a normal experience for you and I. That if we are following this same Jesus, that we should find ourselves in situations where when Jesus shows up and how Jesus shows up terrifies us. Because it is so unusual, it is so unique, it is so supernatural, if you will, that we go, wow, I don't know how to process that. And the immediate emotion is fear. It's to be a bit Terrified. Now, again, I don't know if you can think of a time if, if, if I, I ask that question and go, oh yeah, for me it was that. But I, I can think of a very, very clear time recently, not, not super recently, but the last few years, that I go, this was a fear moment for me, uh, really unlike most other moments of my life. I, I think about January of 2017 
when I clearly got this sense as Michelle and I had been praying for months and months and months and having conversations. And then suddenly we get this moment where we realize we are supposed to leave. We're supposed to leave our home. We were living in Arizona. God is calling us forward. We had no idea what that looked like. No idea what that would mean. And I remember living in that fear of going, I so clearly sense God telling me to go, but I do not yet know what God is telling me to go to. And so we have this peace that God is doing something, but also I know what it felt like to be terrified because I didn't know what Jesus was up to. I didn't know what Jesus was calling us to. So even now today, when I you know, am leading through storms of what we're experiencing, I can go back and go, well, I remember when Jesus called me. I remember when Jesus said, hey, I've got something for you, where it was so clear and that ultimately led us here. Now, I want you to think about what are those moments for you? And again, maybe it's a, a small moment. Maybe it's a big moment. For us, 2017 was a big moment. It was a year of being afraid, uh, if you will, because so much was changing. We had to let go of so much in order to receive the new that Jesus had for us. I think about something that the author Shane Claiborne said. He said, so it's not hell that makes me shudder, but God, because I have no idea what in the world God's going to dare me to do next. I, I know what that feels like when you follow God and you're like, what do you have in store here? What, what are you wanting to do here? What, what plan do you have? What idea do you have? And if you follow Jesus, you will have these moments where you are, 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 are stretched beyond what you're comfortable. You, you are going to find yourself in a situation where you're going, what is Jesus doing? And why is he not doing it the normal way, right? Well, why does Jesus decide he's going to walk on the water? Can't Jesus take a boat? And that's not the way Jesus does it. Jesus does it the way he wants to do it. Now, here's what's interesting. If you look at the details of this story, and we have enough here to, to put together some, some uh, real interesting uh, scenarios that we, we know from, from the beginning of chapter six, which is a passage we looked at a couple months ago when we left off in John, uh, but the feeding of the 5,000, that starts at the bottom of the lake uh, or the, what's known as the Sea of, of Galilee. So I wanna show you a picture here of the Sea of Galilee so that you can mentally imagine this. Now toward the bottom is where our story starts. Scholars think that's where this story begins. If you go from the, the south to the north, that is 14 miles because what we know in the story is they're headed to Capernaum. Now I don't know if you can see on your screen there, but Capernaum is toward the top. And so that is 14 miles from the bottom where they started to get all the way up to the top. Now, again, this is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you, I've been on this uh, sea. Uh, it's, it's like a lake, but again, they call it the Sea of Galilee. 14 miles from the bottom where the story begins to get to Capernaum on the top. And they're going, why, why, why are you telling us that? Why does that matter? Well, the text says that the disciples had, had rowed three to four miles at the point where this story happens. So from where they begin, they've rowed three to four miles, which is roughly a fourth of the distance from where they are to where they're going, to Capernaum, okay? So it's about a fourth of the distance because we know how long it, that distance is. And you're going, why, why does any of this matter? Well, they're about a fourth of the way uh, when Jesus meets them. And I want you to, to revisit a, a phrase we saw in verse 21. And immediately they arrived at their destination. Immediately, 
they arrive at their destination once Jesus gets into the boat. Now, this whole thing with Jesus happens about a quarter of the way across the Sea of Galilee. So how is this possible that immediately they arrived at their destination? Well, a couple options here. Maybe John is exaggerating. Maybe it wasn't really immediately. Maybe it's just kind of a storytelling element. Uh, maybe there's a detail of the story that we're missing uh, or, or some other detail that would change it. Go, oh, it, it was really this, but we just don't have that detail. Or maybe Jesus did something supernatural with the boat. Now, in light of the fact that Jesus had just walked on water, I'd suggest the third option is probably the most likely explanation. That, that all of a sudden, they go from this storm, uh, this, this crazy storm, which again, the Sea Galilee is known for. It's kind of like a bowl, the way the, the mountains are around it. And, and these gales can, can get crazy. They go from a storm a quarter of their way to their journey. Jesus shows up in the boat and they're there. How, how is that possible? How does that happen? One of the things that I glean from the story is this, that Jesus is the God who walks on water to meet us in a storm at night. Jesus is the God who walks on water to meet us in a storm at night. And when you meet Jesus, suddenly things change. Suddenly you can arrive at your destination. Suddenly when Jesus is with you and Jesus decides to move and Jesus decides to, to show you what he has in store for you, the whole scenario can change. And so I want you to consider what does Jesus want to do in your life right now? What, what storm in your life is creating fear? Now, obviously we're living through uh, unprecedented times and that has created a lot of fear, but uniquely for you, how has that played out? What, what, what fear has that created in you? What, what fears do you have? Even as we look toward the weeks and the months to come, what, what things are you most concerned about? And, and how does Jesus want to meet you there? I would encourage you to look for Jesus to show up in those fears in unexpected ways. Not just the ways that you would expect to go, okay, this is how Jesus is gonna answer this prayer. This is how Jesus is gonna, no, no. The disciples were not expecting Jesus to meet them the way that he does. And it's likely gonna be the same for you as well, that, that Jesus wants to meet you in the midst of the storm, in the midst of what is creating your fear, but Jesus may not do this in a way that you anticipate. And the way that Jesus decides to show up may scare you more may terrify you more. But what does Jesus want to do? How does Jesus want to meet you uniquely in the midst of this storm? Because I believe this is an incredible truth to, to realize how Jesus interacted with his disciples as an invitation for how Jesus wants to interact with us as well. How Jesus might be inviting us, you and I, to experience him as well. We're gonna close our, our service today with uh, a song that, that many of you have really come to love. The song is called Waymaker. And, and, and the, the chorus goes like this. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Now there's one phrase in particular that I think is so powerful in connection with this story. The phrase light in the darkness. And so as we sing this song together, 
I wanna invite you just to dwell on that line in particular and imagine the disciples on a boat in the middle of a storm at night without Jesus. And they see this light in the darkness walking toward them on the water, making a way out of something that there should not be any way that can happen. And yet this is who Jesus is. He's a way maker. He can make things happen that you and I cannot. And so when we bring to him our storms, when we bring to him our fears, say, this is what I'm concerned about. We can invite Jesus to move. We can invite Jesus to show up, to reveal himself to us in in new ways. And I pray that as you uh, bring your fear, as you bring your storm to Jesus, that you get to see Jesus show up in unexpected ways right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, we believe that you are a way maker. We believe that you can lead us forward, that you can allow us to immediately arrive at a destination, even though we feel like we're a fourth of the way there. As we look at this, this simple but profound story, may we also realize an invitation of how you might wanna connect with us today as we wait for you, as we wait for you to show up, as we wait for something that has not yet happened, may you allow us to see you, even if it means we're looking in unexpected areas. We're, we're looking for something that we don't even think is possible. And yet here you come walking on the water. God, I'm so thankful that you don't just show up in the expected ways, in the expected places. I'm so thankful that you through your spirit can move in infinite ways, uh, just ways that so uh, baffle our imaginations. And yet we know that you are good. And we know that even when we're waiting, that you will meet us. And so God, I pray that as we wrestle with those things that create fear in us, that we would have the eyes to see you, that we would see you show up in the midst of it. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.